0: And hello, everyone. Welcome back inside the home office. I'm Craig D'Amico, and this is NEC Women's Basketball on the Run. Welcome to a super edition of NEC Women's Basketball on the Run this week as we get set for a big weekend of NEC Women's Hoops. We're going to be talking a bunch about the Merrimack Warriors on the show here today. They've won six out of their last eight games going into Thursday's action, and they have not just one, but two TV games coming up this week, Thursday, 6 p.m., ESPN Plus against Stonehill, the Bay State Battle, and then coming up on Saturday, 3 p.m. on ESPN 3 against SFU. Plus, one of their star players, their senior guard, Kaylee Thomas, will join us here on the show. Also coming up, we're going to check out the newest member of the 1,000-point club in the Northeast Conference. We'll take a look at all the big games coming up this weekend. We'll take a look at our top three stars and much, much more. So let's get things started. Here are this week's top headlines. This is the three-point shot. So we start at the tippy top of the NEC standings. And for the last two weeks, it's been a game of musical chairs. Wagner, they were the lone remaining unbeaten not too long ago at 6-0 in sole possession of first place with 10 games still to play. But after their first NEC loss last week to St. Francis Brooklyn, it knocked them into a three-way battle with FDU and Sacred Heart Then, speaking about Sacred Heart, the Pioneers would then go on to beat Wagner head to head on Thursday to start off last week, 65 to 47, a game in which Wagner, they were in it early, but they kind of unraveled late, a season high, 28 turnovers to drop their second game in a row. So now Wagner found themselves on a two game skid, looking up in the standings at both FDU and Sacred Heart with Sacred Heart taking over first place by a half a game, ahead of FDU going into Saturday's marquee matchup on the CBS Sports Network, a battle between last year's two returning semifinalists and this year's two preseason favorites in the preseason coaches poll, FDU and Wagner. Now, in this game, FDU would grab the early lead, and they would not let it go. The keys, well, they made nine frees as a team. Dahomey Forgs had two, Sierra D'Angelo had two, and five other players each had one. Wagner, they could only sink three out of 12 three-point field goal attempts themselves against the top three-point field goal percentage defense in the country. Then after the three-point line, we look at the free throw line. Wagner, they got to the stripe 26 times in this game, but they were only able to convert on 15 of those attempts. And finally, FDU, they just couldn't miss on the afternoon. They shot over 60% in each of the last three quarters. Well, Wagner, they shot at 30% or below in three out of four quarters. FDU, they pulled away in the second half. They would go on to win it 67 to 50. Chloe Wilson had a double-double for the Knights with 12 points and 13 rebounds before fouling out. Forgs led FDU with 14 points and Wagner's Alex Cowan led all scorers with 22. So now the Seahawks, they've lost three in a row. And they will have to go through the back end of the gauntlet against all those teams that have beaten them already, starting with a rematch against the team that started this drought, St. Francis, Brooklyn, coming up on Thursday. As for FDU, they improved to 8-1 and one in conference play, matching their best NEC start in 30 years since the 1993 season. Next, we shift our attention to the Sacred Heart Pioneers, who are looking to stay a half game ahead of FDU on Saturday. In their interstate rivalry game against central connecticut state now the blue devils they battled tough they led by a point at halftime sacred heart would then tie it at 40 all in the third unless a jada bonner triple but from there central connecticut would go on the run a 14 to 5 run to be exact to go up nine into the fourth quarter then central went on a 10 to 4 run to start the fourth to extend their lead to double figures and they never looked back central connecticut would go on to win it 79-64. to How about this? They ended a nine-game losing streak against their interstate rivals. It was Central's first win over Sacred Heart since February the 3rd of 2018. The Eagles hadn't even won their first Super Bowl yet. That didn't come until the next day. So I guess that's good news. The last time Central beat Sacred Heart, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and now Central beat Sacred Heart again this year. So uh, there's that. Well, and then you look at the why. Why did Central Connecticut beat Sacred Heart this year? Well, you could look to the turnovers. Sacred Heart had 26 of them, which led to 29 Central Connecticut points. And then, just like in the FDU-Wagner game, you look at the three-point line. Central, they hit 10 for 15 from behind the arc. Sacred Heart, three for 19. Belle Lamfer was phenomenal. She played the weekend of her life. She led the way with 28 points for the Blue Devils, and our teammate Forever Toppin was also in double figures, not too far behind with 25. This was the first time Central had two players go over 20 points in the same game since the 2015 season. So here's how we stand. After Wagner lost twice last week, three straight overall, and after Sacred Heart won one and lost one, it's FDU who only played once last week, beating Wagner. They are now in the top spot, At eight and one. And if they can win on Thursday, they would secure their best 10 game league start in program history. And then if they win on Thursday and Saturday coming up this week, then we might be talking about securing home court based on how the other results play out for uh, possible home playoff games. By the way, FDU with 16 wins overall this season, already too shy of their win total from all of last year with still plenty of season to go. Sacred Heart, they fall to second place by a half game at 8-2, and two, matching their best conference start since 2017. Remember, they are responsible for FDU's lone conference loss so far, and those two teams just so happen to play again next week, which I'm sure we might mention once or twice on next week's show. St. Francis, Brooklyn, they won two in a row, and now they've leapfrogged Wagner into the number three spot. The Seahawks are still holding on to a slim lead over Merrimack, for a top four seed and a first round tournament home playoff game. Now, Matt Merrimack, they have been making a charge. They've won six out of eight, but they've lost to Wagner twice. So they do lose the head-to-head tiebreaker against the Seahawks, although both those games were pretty close. One of those games they lost by two, the other they lost by six. St. Francis is just ahead of Stonehill, while Central Connecticut State earned a big non-conference victory on Wednesday against Hartford. Central Connecticut is 3-7 and seven in conference play with Stonehill at 2-8 and, and LIU at 1-9. Time now for the Heat Check featuring the top three stars from the first weekend of February. We start with number three, Naisira Pryor from Sacred Heart. Well, we welcome you back to the Nysera Pryor part of the program. This is quickly becoming a weekly segment. Lil Mama still doing Lil Mama things. 25 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, and 6 steals in Sacred Heart's victory over Wagner. Then she came back two days later and recorded 21 points with three rebounds, five assists, and five steals in Sacred Heart's Saturday setback against Central Connecticut. Both of those performances coming on the road. Pryor has had 10 20-point performances this season, including both of the games from this past weekend. And she's been in double-figure scoring every game so far in her young career. Our second star is Kaylee Thomas from the Merrimack Warriors. Over the last few weeks, Thomas has stepped up her game. She scored in double figures five straight times, including 18 points, eight rebounds, and four assists against LIU back on Thursday. And then she set a new career high with 22 points on 5-for-12 shooting with four three balls to go with three rebounds and five assists in the victory over the Red Flash on Saturday. The senior from North Shemsford, Massachusetts is having the best stretch of her career right now. She's more than doubled her average in scoring and rebounding and has helped lead the Warriors to victory in five of their last six games. And our top star of the week is Belle Lanford from Central Connecticut State. The sophomore guard from Princeton, Massachusetts set a new career high with 30 points back on Thursday against St. Francis, Brooklyn. She shot lights out 12 for 17 from the field and she joined Alyssa Fisher and Emily Bramante as players this season who have reached the 30 point plateau in a single game. Then on Saturday, Lamfer helped engineer Central's upset over interstate rival Sacred Heart. She scored 28 points, including five three balls. She made all her free throws, a monster game, a monster weekend to help lead Central Connecticut State to the win. Lamfer is an incredible. Competitor. She got off to a slow start this fall, missed the first four games, then got eased back into the lineup following an injury. But she's full speed ahead right now. In her last four games, she's averaging 22.8 points per game while shooting 57% from the field. She can't miss. Belle Lamfer can't miss with her. She's our top star in the NEC from week six. It's time for the NEC open mic and our guest this week is averaging just over 17 points per game in our last five outings from the Merrimack Warriors senior guard Kaylee Thomas. Kaylee, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: Now, the Warriors, your team, you know, didn't get off to a great start this year, 1-12, 0-3 in conference, but really since mid-January, the last month or so, you guys have caught fire, won six of the last eight. So what, what changed and how did uh, things manage to turn around?
1: Yeah, um I mean we kind of just like started at practice like we 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 knew we didn't get the start we wanted to. We had a really tough um out of conference schedule, so I mean, we just kind of tried to learn as much as we could throughout those games and then when we got to conference like we were like losing by like six points or less um in like most of those games, so we were we were right there but like some things just had to click, and we really kind of got after each other in practice, and just kind of tried to take it to the next gear. And it's definitely been showing in in our past games.
0: And like you said, whether it's the non-conference schedule or maybe some of those early experiences, like you said, you guys have kind of been living on the edge a little bit. Four games this year decided by two points, but yet you've won three of them, including a couple as of late. So, you know, what is it about this team that allows you guys to be so composed? In, in those those tight situations at the end of games
1: yeah I mean kind of similar to what I said before like we how those games are is like our practice like we try to like put ourselves in those situations and you know sometimes we'll like get up by a lot in a game and then you end up winning by two points but it's like that first quarter maybe like gave us that little cushion that Helped us in the fourth quarter, so we you know we can never take plays off, and every every play matters, and we try to just like build off of every quarter, and um you know get after it at practice, and try to really like have those game like situations so that we're ready when when the when the big stage is set.
0: Now speaking about the big stage, this year Merrimack's going to get to play in the NEC tournament for the very first time. You're already in. We know we know it's going to happen, but with with this streak. You guys are kind of creeping up into the top four, which would mean a first-round home game. So, you know, how special would that be? Not just to get to play in the first playoff game in school history in the NEC, but to have that be at home in front of your fans. You know, how much is that a goal, and how much is that something that that you guys are looking to accomplish here?
1: I mean that that would be awesome, especially for me personally, because um, I'm from. The area. So, like, I, I love having my family at the home games. And um, it's just so nice that they're just down the road to be able to come watch me play all these games. So, I mean, a home game would be amazing. And our uh, school has been, you know, marketing our games and trying to get all those as many students to come as possible. And uh, with how we've been playing, like, when you win, people want to come see you play. So, you know, it's definitely helping that we've been doing well and I think if we get a home game in the playoffs like it, it'll be very exciting for us
0: now let's go and cover your journey a little bit uh how was it when was it that you kind of fell in love with the game of basketball
1: um I'd say when I was in uh, like elementary school I have an older brother he um played a lot of sports growing up and I would always like go watch his games and he played basketball um and I just remember every time out or halftime I would run out on the court and like go shoot and like practice all these moves that he was doing and so that's really when I when I fell in love and my mom would see me at those timeouts and she was like maybe we should sign her up so Really, just watching my older brother grow up, and I just tried to like compete with him, and yeah.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Now, I, I also I did some research, and I I saw you had a, a a luge career back when you were in in middle school. So how how did how did that come about, and and what was kind of your experience with
1: with that? Yeah, so um, one of my like best friends' mom, she was a gym teacher at a school in the area, and a woman she worked with at that school was in the Olympics for luge. So how it's obviously a sport that not many people know about. So how they like recruit for um, young athletes to try out the sport, they go and travel the U S and like have these things called slider searches. And um, you just basically like are on a sled with wheels going down a hill and they go through the cones or whatever and so I did that and my parents told me it was just like a new fun sport to try and I was like an athletic kid I loved trying new sports and playing outside so I was like all right it'll be fun uh but it was actually like a tryout so they ended up inviting me to do another tryout um in lake placid new york at the olympic training center where their track is on the ice so i went and tried out there and i made the developmental team and so then in sixth and seventh grade i basically spent like my whole winters in lake placid and i was you know racing doing that. that's amazing yeah i i eventually made the c team the next level up but I was like, I love basketball and I didn't I didn't want to quit. So I had to put the luge career aside. I'm thankful it, for it.
0: Is is there anything that you could take, you know, from that experience as an athlete in that sport and, and use it in in your basketball career, or was it two completely
1: different things? Um, I mean, I I think going like I spent like 12 to 20 weeks just away from my family, um, staying at the Olympic Training Center. Uh, So I think, and that was in like sixth, seventh grade. So I think going and just like being on my own at such a young age, I just, it was like college. Like I learned how to like time manage and, you know, it's fun. Like they have a big gym, like ping pong tables and everyone loves to like hang around. But at the same time, I like had homework to do and, you know, like I had to keep in touch with my family. So like I really learned kind of like how to be a D1 athlete at a young age. And it's definitely helped me like stay on track of things now.
0: Wow. I, I wouldn't have thought about that, but you're right. That, that, that sounds like there's a lot of similarities there more yeah. than I thought. Um, all right. So we're, we're going to have the final five questions here. These are quick hitters. So just give us the first thing that comes to mind. All right. All right. All right. So what is your favorite snack or junk food?
1: Ooh, Mott's gummies.
0: Okay. Uh, the, the fruit punch or the strawberry or, or what, what kind?
1: Mm, just the like mixed berry pack is the best.
0: Gotcha. What's your yeah. pre- uh, favorite pregame superstition?
1: I have to get a Duncan's coffee in the morning.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, you're, out of all the, the uniform colors, which one's your favorite? The whites, the yellows, or the blues?
1: Um, I, I'd have to go with the navy.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm assuming from Massachusetts, your team is probably out of it, but the Kansas city chiefs or the Philadelphia Eagles.
1: Mm, um, I'm going to go with the chiefs.
0: Okay. And finally, if we took a survey of your teammates, what trait or adjective do you think they would use to describe you?
1: Mm, I think they would say funny, but Maybe I always, I always have like the the dad jokes that like people laugh because they're like, I can't believe she just said that, (laughs) but that makes it funny.
0: Well, you, you, you were a pleasure to chat with here today. Kaylee had 22 points against SFU last week, and they'll be seeing SFU coming up this week on ESPN three Stonehills coming up before that on Thursday. Kaylee, thank you so much for spending some time with us this week.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me
0: she's kaylee thomas and this has been the nec open mic this week's stat chat is focused on stonehill senior emily Vermonti, who this past week scored her 1,000 career point on saturday at home against st francis brooklyn Vermonti set the mark with a catch and shoot three from the left side in the first minute plus of the second quarter becoming the 35th player in stonehill skyhawks history to reach the 1,000 point plateau. She currently has 1,006 career points in 103 career games. That's a career scoring average of about 9.8 points per game doing the quick math. She's currently third in the league this year in scoring with 15.4 points per game and has made 61 three-pointers this season, the most in the league. Bramante's dad is a high school hoops coach and Emily, she might be following suit. She was recently selected to participate in the WBCA's So You Want to Be a Coach program, which will be held in Dallas in late March. Remember last year's Player of the Year in the Northeast Conference, Madison Stanley? She was named to that program, and she's currently serving as an assistant at the College of Charleston. So the the tutoring, all the guidance that happened during that program that weekend certainly paid off. Great future ahead for Emily, great career in the present time as well. The newest member of the Stonehill 1,000-point club. She'll get to learn the secret handshake and everything. Emily Bramante, the subject of this week's Stat Chat. Well, there's no love lost in the Northeast Conference, and with Valentine's Day quickly approaching, that means we're getting to nitty-gritty time. It's practically playoff time. Depending on how the results go, we could see some first-round home playoff games clinched as soon as this weekend. It's a Thursday-Saturday conference schedule. Here's what we've got coming up on tap. On Thursday, the Merrimack Warriors will be at the Stonehill Skyhawks. It's part two of the NEC's Bay State battle. Merrimack has won six of their last eight games, a stretch that started with an 80-72 to 72 win over Stonehill back on January the 14th. Mackenzie Bray and Amaya Staten both had career highs of 22 and 17 points respectively in that game for the Warriors. The LIU Sharks will be at Fairleigh Dickinson. Coach Ange taking on her former team from back during her days as a student athlete and even as an assistant coach. FDU beat LIU 80-51 to on January the 2nd in their conference opener. And we also have, have SFU taking on Sacred Heart. Always interesting when these two rivals get together. But our feature game on Thursday is the Wagner Seahawks hosting the St. Francis Brooklyn Terriers. Now, Wagner has lost three in a row, a drought that started with their 61-59 to 59 defeat to the Terriers back on January 26th. That was the game Marissa Sanchez-Henry missed the three-pointer sh- at the buzzer that would have won it. And the Seahawks really haven't been able to get back on track since. But yes, the quality of the opponents, St. Francis, Brooklyn, Sacred Heart, and FDU, has been pretty strong. They're still trying to find are the Seahawks that poise and composure that they had back at the start of conference play when they got out to their six and zero start. Now, now this one is big for Wagner because a Terriers win would mean that they would have a one and a half game lead over Wagner plus the head to head tiebreaker, so really like a two and a half game lead, and then that would allow Merrimack maybe to slip into the conversation to sneak from behind on Wagner for a top four seed and maybe a first round home game. So can Wagner right the ship? Can they get back on track by flipping the script against the team that started this whole drought? We will find out on Thursday night. Then on Saturday, FDU will be on the road taking on Central Connecticut State. Stonehill will take on St. Francis, Brooklyn, a rematch from the game last week when Vermonti scored her 1,000th career point, made history, but the Terriers still got the win. And the Wagner Seahawks will be in Brooklyn crossing the Verrazano to take on the LIU Sharks. But our feature game is Saturday, 3 p.m. on ESPN3. Myself and Takira Carter will be on the call for the Merrimack Warriors hosting the St. Francis Red Flash. These two teams just met last Saturday in Loretto with the Warriors holding on for a 67-65 win. The Red Flash had a chance to tie or potentially take the lead on their final possession, but they turned it over in the final seconds. No foul was called, and the Warriors were able to even their conference mark at 5-5. Five and five. Now, today's guest, Kaylee Thomas, scored a career high with 22 points in that game last Saturday. Marissa Hamilton and Diamond Christian were also in double, double figures as well for the Warriors, while Destiny Ward and Philippa Gula each had 15 points apiece for the Red Flash. A key, as it usually is in these games, will be ball control. Merrimack only turned it over eight times. St. Francis, 18, which led to 13 points, which when you think about it, really not that much off 18 turnovers. But in a two-point game, 13 points proved costly. That was a huge difference. Another interesting aspect to this one will be, can Merrimack heat up from behind the arc just like they did in the third quarter when they played last week they went seven for ten from behind the arc in the third quarter they had 12 threes in the game overall the green light was certainly out against the red flash and then of course throw in the stakes playoffs right around the corner the stakes will be high a strong weekend for merrimack as we said could get them into conversation for a top four seed and what will be their inaugural appearance in the NEC tournament no better way to debut in the NEC tournament by hosting a tournament game but then on the other side for the program that's had more success in the NEC tournament than seemingly all the other teams in the league combined can the red flash get back to 500 in conference play two-thirds of the way through the conference season with a pair of strong wins on the road coming up this weekend these two schools have met six previous times St. Francis has won three merrimack has won three so now the seventh game in the best of seven we break the tie saturday in north andover massachusetts 3 p.m on espn3 and that'll just about do it for this week's show tykira carter and myself will talk to you saturday 3 p.m on espn3 merrimack st francis can't wait to see that game and we can't wait to see you right back here next week for another brand new edition of NEC women's basketball on the run Until then, I'm Craig D'Amico. Enjoy the games, everybody.